Hey everybody, Krista Makes here. It's hard to believe, but Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Do you want to get ahead of the curve and get your significant other a unique and memorable gift? Well, I'd love to write you a short custom song and play it in a personalized video greeting. You supply the details about the person you love and I'll do the rest. For example, if your name is Boris and your girlfriend's name is Gertrude and Gertrude really likes cats and playing the drums, I could write you something like this. Gertrude, you are the cat's meow And Boris tried so hard, but he can't tell you how He's felt about you since day one from the start You are the steady beat within his kick drum heart Yeah, he will always be there Your love is tighter than a snare You are the steady beat within his kick drum heart Yeah, Boris hopes you know that he never wants to be apart it doesn't just have to be for a love interest either. You can send a custom song Valentine greeting to a friend, to your parents, to your coworkers, or hell, even to yourself. Email me at kristamakes at gmail.com if you're interested. Video greeting reservations are limited, so time is of the essence. I need a remedy of diesel and dust. Something I can taste with a fix I can trust. Another Hey everybody, today's guest is my awesome friend, Chuck Reagan, singer and guitarist for fellow Gainesville, Florida alumni, Hot Water Music. Chuck and I had a great time catching up, and he chose the song Remedy to discuss today. Chuck talked about how they discover songs instead of creating them, and that Remedy was a song idea based on a riff that they had kicking around for quite a while before they got inspired and it became an all-out song. We touched on their incredible recording experience with producer Brian McTurnan, and how he dealt with Chuck blowing out his voice during the recording session. Chuck got into some personal stories about rough times in his adolescence, which were what the lyrics to Remedy were based on. And I'm going to brag a little bit here. In December 2017, I was asked to fill in on second guitar for Hot Water Music at one show in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It wasn't an easy gig. I really had to do my homework. But my appreciation for them as people and their legacy as a band deepened even further. They are truly forever family. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I gotta tell our listeners, Chuck's out uh, out in California, and when he agreed to uh, do this, uh, it's uh, it's eight in the morning here on the East Coast. It's five a.m. There, Chuck is a uh, professional fisherman. He likes to get up early, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. And uh, I'm I'm I I'm, would be happy to talk to you at any time. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad we made it. We we made it work and found a time for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. We were, we were for our listeners. We were going to do this last week, but Chuck's been dealing with some uh, some environmental issues out there with the fires and whatnot. And I'm glad you and your family are safe, and uh, we can finally talk about this song. Chuck uh, Chuck picked a, a an amazing uh, hot water music track. Uh, this one is Remedy, and uh, I got a lot to talk about, so I'm, I'm I'm excited that you that you picked this one. I want to go back and and, and set this song up for everybody. Um, you know that time period when this came out. Um, you know this record, uh, Caution, was was released in October of 2002. Um, the previous record, A Flight and a Crash, was released June 5th of 2001, and in between that, you guys were touring your heads off. Uh, 
you know, you had uh, gotten your deal with Epitaph Records for Flight and a Crash, and uh, yeah. and you know, Less Than Jake toured with you guys in February of '02. It was uh, us, you guys, and Bad Religion. So I'm trying to figure out when you had a chance to even write the song. And do you remember was this written? around flight in a crash or was it written but be- be- between that when you were writing songs for caution uh, set it up yeah i mean y- you know much like a lot of our songs and i mean you being a songwriter yourself you know how it goes man i mean there's there's we're always writing songs right you know i mean i i've always believed that in so many ways like we're more so discovering these songs rather than uh, creating them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, like where, you know, they're, they're already there. You know, the stories, all the stories have been told before in one way or the other. And um, all the rhythms, all the progressions, everything in one way or the other has been done before. And we just kind of, find that track and discover whatever that is, whatever that realization is or whatever that rhythm is. And, you know, how we interpret it is, is how we end up, you know, then processing it and expressing it through our own voice and abilities and whatnot. Right. So remedy was one of those, uh, if I remember right, you know, uh, a song that I think we were working on for for a while, uh, and and nothing was moving, no ground was moving on it. Um, and then on another session, it was one of those songs. You know, we were uh, setting up to record. I was, you know, and that was one that we had kind of laying around and I listened to it again one day and it just, it just kind of unfolded immediately. You know, you know how sometimes you'll, you'll sit down, especially when it comes to lyrics and whatnot. Like sometimes I swear I'm working on lyrics for weeks, if not months, (laughs) you know, where it's just like, ah, you know what it, and you're just trying to find that little, you're trying to find that little hitch. You're trying to find the thing that connects to the other thing. You're trying to, you're trying to, you know, find your own differences and realizations and all of that, that will just put the hair up on the back of your neck, right? And I don't say put the hair up on the back of your neck as in, you know, you're writing something amazing or profound or what, you know, <laughs> it's, no, it's just hitting you emotionally. What I'm talking about is connecting with it. Right. Where, you know, uh, you know, when I'm sitting down to write something and, you know, I'm kind of trying to connect the dots and uh, trying to, you know, find that path and there's a certain way I want to say it. There's a certain way I want to convey it. Um, and at one point in time, I, I hit that, hit that track. That's what puts the hair up on my neck. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's it. That was it. 
That's what I was looking for, you know. And um, yeah, Remedy was one of those ones where, you know, for a long time, uh, nothing moved on it. And then, uh, yeah, fired it up six months later, you know what I mean? And I don't, uh, I'm not even sure what was going on in my life at that time that brought me back to, you know, the topic and subject of that song, because, you know, the, the subject and the topic of that song came from something that I was going through 15 years prior to writing that song or maybe oh, wow. years, but I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember how, how old I was when that song happened, but yeah, well, like I was to say, can we, can we hold that thought for a sec? Cause I want to get into that, 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 and everything you just said <laughs> is sure, absolutely sure. fascinating. I've, I've done a number of these, uh, these, po- you know, podcasts now, and no one's ever really explained it, uh, the way you just did. And that was really cool, uh, about how these, these songs are in you and they, they just sometimes just kind of come out, but then the lyrics, uh, the, the, the lyrics are still inside you, but then to articulate them from hand to pen to paper and to get them how you oh, yeah. want them to get those hairs in the neck <laughs> to stand up. Um, so man, yeah. that was, yeah. you, you really explained that in a, in a, in a really, a really cool fashion. Um, something that I would typically ask, um, a, a solo artist that's in a band, something later uh, in the show. Um, I want to ask you now because, you know, I know this was before you, uh, uh, and, and for some of the listeners that don't know, Chuck has a very successful solo career outside of, of hot water music. Um, this was kind of before this time period, before you, you had uh, uh, branched out solo. D- do you know if this song was, was you were thinking maybe this was just a Chuck Reagan song or, or, or was it a hot water music song, uh, in your mind at that time? Oh, definitely. Uh, hot water music. Definitely hot water. Sure. Okay. Okay. And, and yeah. to this day, real quick while we're on the subject and we'll, we'll get back into remedy. Do you know, um, when you pick up a guitar or when you write a song, what batch it's going to go into do you, or, or, or can they be interchanged? Could you be like, yeah, I could see this working on the next hot water record, or this is definitely a Chuck Reagan solo song. That's a great question. You know, a lot, a lot of them kind of start in the same, you know, more often than not when I'm writing, um, whether it be solo or hot water or even just sitting down to play more often than not, you know, I'm, I'm picking up a Martin you know, uh, yeah. I'm not blasting my ears out, you know, in front of an amp, uh, <laughs> you know, um, that's, it just, it usually starts just acoustic bare bones, you know, just a progression, a movement, you know, just, uh, uh, something, something kind of simple, a standard structure, right? Um, and as far as, you know, every, every once in a while, I'll write something where it's like, okay, that is definitely not hot water music. Mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't really go. But I mean, a, a lot of my stuff, the roots of it, the basis of it, isn't a whole lot different from the rock and roll we play in the band. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So uh, going back now, um, in, in, it, it seems like, and <laughs> for lack of a better word, your memory is a, a little bit hazy because my gosh, you guys, uh, Flight to Crash came out in June of 01. You're touring like madmen. Caution had to be recorded at some point to be released in October 2002. So less than a year and a half later. Um, so writing the song Remedy was somewhere in there. Um, you're not exactly yeah. sure, which I don't know how you would be anyway, but the song you, you mentioned kind of went to the wayside, you revisited it. And do you remember how all of a sudden it came to life again? And, and, yeah. and, and was the band, um, was it you that, that was champion to, to have it resurrected or, or was anybody else in the band? Like, no, we should revisit remedy. Um, man, honestly, that was, uh, if I remember right, that was just one of you know one of Wallard's riffs that that opening that beginning. Dun, 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 oh yeah, right. The driving um, riff, I call it. That thing is just ah oh, great. That so that was just a Wallard riff that you know every once in a while it would come around and you know like I said it was around a lot longer before we uh we started working on it for caution you know or started actually writing it you know okay. that riff was just around like i remember him play and it was cool and but it just never it just it it never evolved back then you know especially uh unlike now when all four of us lived in the same town and even at sometimes lived together the amount of writing that was going on and the amount of time spent just in the same room you know was pretty incredible you know in turn and and i i think it attributed to uh you know being able to write as much material as as we did in in that short period of time um, oh of course I, you know i always tell i always tell young bands you know they'll they'll come and ask for advice and i'll say listen you guys are on to something here i like your sound but do yourselves a favor lock yourselves in a room for the next two years and write as many songs as you can because you can yeah. never get that time that prolific period when you're young and you know you're just you're crapping everything out so to speak <laughs> you know yeah. and uh i know you guys were very prolific in the late 90s in gainesville because you were all in the same town i can i can uh, relate to with less than jake we were heck living together most of the time and uh, it's like hey let's go rehearse what else do we have to do yeah yeah we you know we were all once we all had the talk and kind of made the sacrifice so to speak and uh said yeah let's do this all in when you know now you got another set of eyes on you i mean previous uh uh to being on epitaph you guys did a record uh uh with uh doghouse records um you were also on no idea and then you had a record uh on walter's uh label some yeah. records um yeah. Now you got, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, Epitaph was pretty much a major label at this point. I mean, oh, they were, yeah, yeah, that was huge. It was, it was huge. Uh, the, the print and press, uh, print promotion press you guys got. I mean, I just remember the band being elevated with that said, uh, you know, Brett Gurowitz label head, how privy was Brett to remedy? Do you remember? Did he, uh, did you, did you have demos? Did you record a, a demo of this track that he had heard? 
Yeah. Yeah. He loved it. And, um, you know, but I remember trying to remember what's other song. <laughs> uh, hey, go easy. It was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> is Jack of all trades on caution? I believe that's on flight. Oh. Right. You look it up. <laughs> yeah, you're can. supposed to know it's your band chuck uh, no uh, once that once they go on the record i'm done with them That's yeah it. i know i know that feeling uh jack of all trades was on on flight in a crash <laughs> well it my i guess the reason i brought it up it it's there's no point because you were asking about remedy and if brett had heard it but uh I, I distinctly remember Brett really liking Jack of all trades and wanting to push it. But I think we sweared in it at some point and he was so bummed. He's like, why did you, why did you swear? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he wanted to get behind that song for some reason. I don't know, but, uh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so that doesn't have anything to do with your question. Cause if it oh no, that that's fine. I just didn't know how involved, how involved was Brett at this point? Was he making suggestions as kind of an executive producer outside, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, what if you did this, you know, should you double, maybe double that chorus at the end? Was there no. any conver conversations like that? No, no, not really. I mean, you know, we did that record, uh, with with brian mcturnan correct again uh and who's just an absolutely wonderful human being and uh great producer um i cannot wait to work with him again one day if if we get a chance so um we're you know when we sat down with brian the first time uh which was for flight right Correct. And for our listeners, Brian McTurnan, uh produced A Flight in a Crash. He produced uh, Caution, the, that Remedy is on, and uh, the follow-up record, The New What's Next. So you did three records with Brian. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the first experience we had with him was awesome for us. He had a live-in studio, which was just incredible. This was the first time um, that we were actually... Chris, you remember the days of recording records where it's like we did it in a day. <laughs> yeah. You guys ready? Go. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> Let's record this record. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh and I remember I remember a couple sessions where we actually had three, four days to do it, which was crazy. It was like, wow, we're gonna be in the studio for four days, you know. Which is and, unheard of when you're a young band. <laughs> right, right. You know, and you would go home and then come back to it. And like what we had never experienced, it was a live-in studio where, well, I mean, we had done it a, a little bit on No Division um, when we recorded at Montana Studios in Richmond, Virginia, right? Uh we were up there, but we didn't live in the studio, but we were there every single day with Walter and a bunch of friends. Um, but this situation was totally different because this was our first experience walking into the studio that literally was 15 feet away from where we were sleeping for 
a month. Wow. And that was probably the coolest thing that I had ever experienced in music at that time, because it was the first time that there wasn't as many distractions. We weren't glued to the phone. We weren't glued to social media. You know, we weren't watching TV or news. We were just completely saturated with this, this group of songs. And uh, we would cook food. (laughs) We would write. Well, the thing about it, we would record it like, and it was amazing for a month. You know, well, the thing about it, too, though, is is even though you had the luxury of, of more time on, on your hands, there, there's still an immediacy to these records. This one, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, here you are um, on Epitaph Records and, and, and the record mm-hmm. sounds great, but it's not glossy and overproduced. It sounds raw. It sounds ha- kind of how you guys did at the time, you know, yeah. just brash and just loud and uh, yeah. I- I- emotion, you know, the uh, the nothing was all lined up perfect vocally, you know, and I don't mean that as a as a, as a slam. It was just that, you know, it's kind of you guys were, were raw and, and, it, and it was captured, which I wanted to ask. And, and you had brought him up. I want to talk a little bit about Brian McTurnan because. Yeah. Um, he was kind of like the first quote unquote producer and he gets a production credit on these records. So I wanted to ask, what did Brian bring to the table? I mean, for, uh, let's just, you know, keep it to, to remedy when you brought yeah. remedy in, do you remember Brian suggesting we should double this course at the end, or maybe, maybe we need a bridge here or this lyric could be better. Was he involved in that aspect? Absolutely. Um, I, it's hard to kind of pinpoint specifically the parts in that particular song Mm -hmm. that he was, I feel like I, I remember him uh, talking about us starting the song. I remember. And cause I have this vision of just him gritting his teeth and like kind of clenching his fist, like while he's explaining, (laughs) (laughs) like I just, now that you bring that up, like I have that vision. Um, But BMAC was involved, so heavily involved in everything that we were doing from last harmonies and butter that goes on everything back to the kick drum. That is great. I mean, for some reason, and I don't know why, I guess it's just because, again, the the records are raw. They sounded how you guys sounded back then. And I just didn't think that he was that involved. This sounded just like someone just recorded you guys better than you had had been recorded in the past, if that makes sense. And that's really cool, really cool to know that... uh, that he had a hand in there with, uh, with working the arrangements and, and working the lyrics. And he was actually producing. Well, and I mean, to me, and especially with caution, uh, with that record, we had already kind of worked out our kinks, but between us, like all four of us and him is what I'm talking about through flight and a crash. Right. So you were definitely way more comfortable on this record. You'd already done a record with him. You knew what you were getting. And so he knew any- us. Yeah, mm-hmm. he knew us. We were comfortable. We knew where we were staying, everything, right? And um if anything, he he just tapped into he just tapped into us. I I used to always say he just he he helps us be be a better band. No, and that's that's what I you know, and I've mentioned on the show before. A, a producer is there 
to elevate the strengths of the band, not point out the weaknesses. You know, they're, they're almost like an armchair psychologist. You know, they're there to build, they really are. They're there to build, build you up and they're there being objective outside of the band. Their heart isn't in it like yours is. They didn't write the songs. They're able to look at it a little differently and go, well, what about changing this word? We're like, it's gotta be that word. Well, well, does it? Oh yeah, <laughs> and and oh. as a young songwriter, that's hard to swallow. Like, how dare somebody ch- you know try to change my art? But uh, a producer can be so valuable; they really oh, can. No doubt. Uh, the The first time uh, we recorded with him, and uh, for flight, and we go up there, and uh, it, we did all our work. You know, all that excitement that I was talking about. This was our first record on Epitaph. Everything was just like, wow, we're really doing it. You know, this is crazy. We're living the dream, right? And uh, everything gets down. Now it's time for, for me to step up and sing. I go to sing one song and belt it out. And it's okay. It's not great, but it was my first day of singing. And we get into another song. My voice starts getting tired. It's getting rough and then we go to i said man let's let's go to even like let's go to a simpler song my my voice is just not you know there yet and and chuck can i stop you real quick i think i know where you're going with this Uh i i I believe you blew out your voice because i distinctly remember touring with you guys and you were showing me these vocal warm-ups that this professional uh voice coach had given you yes yeah yeah that's exactly it. I ended up blowing out my voice. Oh, and man. It was such a drag because George George did his work. He kicked ass. Jason, same, right? Waller uh, on guitar. And and Brian was doing a great job. And everybody was – and here was our, our record on Epitaph Records. And, and then here I step up to sing, and I fail the whole camp. It was the worst feeling. <laughs> like it was, it's terrible. Well, nobody know? will know that feeling as a singer when your voice goes. It's, it's, oh, you're it's the worst. So powerless. Yeah. Like there's just nothing. And uh, anyhow, Brian, and this kind of just goes back to giving him props, like in his producing. Uh, he was so calm and was like, hey, man, come, come in here for a second. And I came in after i cool after i cooled down because back then it was like if my voice didn't work i would just scream louder <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm gonna get through i'm gonna push through this <laughs> yeah yeah T- typical man typical male right yeah if something doesn't work we gotta hit it harder yeah. push it you know scream louder yeah unlike being wise like a woman where we're like wait a second why is this not working the number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like the shot was... Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So Brian calls me in and says, he goes, man, listen, I want to ship you up to Boston. There is a, uh, 
uh, a vocal coach up there by the name of Mark Baxter, and you're going up there. So I jumped on a train and uh, went up went up to Boston uh, from from Beltsville or DC or whatever, and um, and yeah, I I was up there for three days. I walked in his his little house studio, Mark Baxter. Mark Baxter wrote a book. I don't know if you remember it, Chris. I, I don't know if I gave you a copy or we just talked about it. We just talked about him. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe you gave me a book. but yeah. I, 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 so I, I, he wrote a book called The Rock and Roll Singer's Survival Manual. Yes. Those three days ended up changing the way that I approached uh, singing, the way that I approached live shows studio sessions like three days time like it changed everything that i do in my work and in in my career in in stepping up to a microphone that's miraculous yeah no and it's funny how you you triggered that memory you started talking i said wait a second i think i know where this is going and i just i hadn't thought about that in 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 18 years but man it, it, it all came back and uh uh, what an amazing find he was for you. I mean, who knows if you, you'd still be singing today the way, I mean, I, you, you, the way you used to, I could believe how you and Roller, Wallard used to scream. I was like, how are these guys still talking? You'd, you'd be talking after <laughs> the show. Like it was normal. I mean, nobody screamed and, and the volume that you guys, I mean, <laughs> you know, which, which goes back. I always joked that, uh, Roger and I had to be loud too. You know, the think, think of the places we were playing in the shitty PAs. So we oh, had, we, yeah. we had to sing over oh. the band. Um, Real quick here, I want to get in uh, to, to to the lyrics of, of Remedy, and I want to get yeah. into to the inspiration that you touched on a bit ago, because I know you were going somewhere with that. And for our listeners, just want want to uh, touch on something real quick. Hot Water Music, known these guys, they're a Gainesville, Florida band, uh, as is uh, Less Than Jake. Um, known them forever, and in December of 2017... I uh, had taken off uh, for breakfast. Uh, Leslie Jake was playing a show in New Jersey, and uh, I get a phone call from George from Hot Water. And uh, I answered the phone, and basically he told me that uh, uh, Chris Wallard, um, the other guitarist uh, besides Chuck and Hot Water, was uh, taking a break to focus on his health, and they needed someone to to fill in for a show. Uh, and, and of all places, Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I was like, okay. <laughs> when <laughs> and he said this is in, no in this is in about three and a half weeks from now i'm like okay how many songs <laughs> we need you to learn 19 songs All right. uh, okay yes. um of course i was familiar with with a, a lot of the hot water hits i call them but know. you know there was other ones that uh but long story short i just want to touch on this real quick um it was amazing i never realized the intricacies of Chris's guitar parts. This guy doesn't play the same thing twice in a song. It was the most challenging thing, you know, less than Jake. I just been playing chords and, and little riffs all these years. And, uh, it was so challenging and at the same time satisfying. And, uh, what an amazing, uh, thing that you and him have going with the guitar parts in hot water. It was just so cool to actually break it down and analyze it and be a part of that. And, uh, and you were, you did such an awesome job and that I was, I, I didn't, uh, 
I didn't. I didn't envy you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It, it was. Yeah, I was rehearsing. Like, That's a lot to ask of anybody. <laughs> I know? was. I, I rehearsed for five, six hours a day, seven days a week for for three weeks, and uh, wow. I still didn't feel like I was ready. And it was only one show, you know. And um, but yeah. uh, anyways, the the only reason I brought this up this isn't a, a vanity trip for for Chris here, but I brought this up because I just wanted to to talk about how interesting the and especially in this song remedy the guitar parts are and mm. how they're inter, interwoven with each other and it mm. just that makes your guys sound um this song starts out with just this driving riff and i call it a driving riff that that goes on for quite some time the the first lyric of the song i just want to talk about the first verse the intro i need a remedy of diesel and dust something i can taste with a fix i can trust another high more potent than lust, eating and repeating like the workings of rust and time. And then boom, the band's in and Wallard's <laughs> doing this crazy riff. Set this this first verse up. And if you if you don't mind, it sounded like you were going yeah. for something deeply personal. This was something that happened 15 years prior. Can can you talk about the the inspiration of, of, of the lyrics? Yeah, yeah, you bet. I mean, to me, so often, I have no idea what I'm about to write about. I have no idea what what it is uh, most of the time. You know, there's some times where, you know, something comes to me where I got to get that. I got to get that off my chest. Mm -hmm. um, this this song, for whatever reason, man, it this was one where the lyrics came rather quickly. I remember which, you know, I usually remember those, those songs because it doesn't happen that often. Sometimes it just happens that way in where you put the pen down and you just spill it and you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what I need to say. <laughs> you know, that's what I got to get off my chest. Well, this, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I don't, I don't really recall what was even happening right then and there, but for some reason I was brought back to some younger days of mine where I was going through some, some healing processes, right? Um, I don't even know. It's hard to know where to begin with that. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh in a great home to wonderful very sub, uh loving parents uh but at the same time they're very conservative you know conservative southern baptist household um and i was a punk rocker and <laughs> that doesn't mesh too well <laughs> and uh yeah and and that's pretty much that story so like no uh but wonderful parents I look back on it now and I feel terrible of how I treated them, even though I didn't agree with their politics or their religion. I, I really, I really hurt my mama for a long time and it's really sad, but like, uh, you know, I just, uh, look back at how verbally abusive, you know, we were and, uh, and I feel terrible about that, but, we get along great now. And uh, in the early kind of years of me just trying to f find my way, I guess, uh -huh. um, I rebelled quite a bit uh, 
against my folks and and their beliefs. Um, I ran away from home a lot at a pretty young age. You know, we're talking like 13, 13 years old. And, and, um, and I mean, these were just young punk days, you know, we're, we're running around and just doing stupid stuff and causing trouble or vandalizing or sitting in a corner of a mall, giving each other homemade tattoos and all that good stuff. Yeah. That, right. Well, and, 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 you know, you guys grew up on the Gulf Coast where I did in Sarasota, Florida, Bradenton area, which, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, we, there wasn't much to do in the eighties. <laughs> no, no, yeah. You kept, yeah. you kept yourself busy with, and especially getting, getting in, in into punk rock. But so no all of a sudden these, these feelings of, of yeah. your past, um, uh-huh. they just bubble to the surface. And now all of a sudden you're writing this song. At what point did it click? And you're like, Okay, I'm I'm writing about the the damage uh, uh, that I did in my past to my to my parents. Well, that wasn't necessarily what it was about. Okay, I guess I, guess I was dragging on. Um, anyhow, my parents, my parents, you know, put me away a couple different times in terms of treatment centers. Uh, as a young kid, you know, I was I was running away a lot. Um, to be honest, I I was extremely. Uh, I was real suicidal, really angry, really hateful. Uh, wasn't really sure who I hated. I think it, I think I just hated myself. Which is was, so crazy because you're like one of the most loving, caring persons I know. And I mean that with all my heart, man. It's really, uh, it's really almost heartbreaking to hear you say that. I had really didn't know that was part of your past. You know, yeah. I thought you were just another suburban knucklehead like myself that got into <laughs> punk rock. And, you know, I would have never known that you, you went through those emotions. You know, I went through, I went through some treatment centers uh, where they, you know, they were kind of your typical charter hospital type places you know where where they you know stuff a messed up kid in for 30 days and then go oh he's all better now and and usually either the money or something runs out you know and then they turn you loose and they don't do any help other than other than make you realize that you know you're never going to go back to one of those fucking places again you know right but um i went through a couple of those and it was at a time where yeah, you know, I mean, I was, I'd never really got into drugs. I probably would have if they were there, you know, mm-hmm. I would have had no problem <laughs> if doing them if they were there. I'm kind of, I look back on it, and I'm thankful that I'd never, that was one thing that missed. I mean, I drank and, you know, smoked some pot or whatever, but, uh, but, you know, they Hard drugs weren't around, so it, it that wasn't the problem. It mm-hmm. was just straight like anger. I just wanted to just burn the whole damn world down. Yeah, and uh, A- anger, and, uh, anger, adolescence in Bradenton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'll do so, it for you. <laughs> so anyhow, they they ended up finding they put me in a long term treatment program that uh, uh, was called the LIFE program. And the word LIFE standing for life is for everyone, right? And this was, uh, this was kind of a, a, a long-term treatment program for, uh, it, man, kids like me, 
you know, suicidal kids, angry kids, drug addicts, sex addicts, you know, you name it. Um, when I went in, there was about 180 kids in it, pretty balanced, you know, male and female, but like they, they always kept the males and females, like kept boys and girls totally separated. Right. It, the ages were anywhere from 12 to 18 or whatever. Some people came for, you know, came from hospitals. Some people were Baker acted in, you know, older uh, kids were. Some came from juvie, some came from, you know, some were runaways, you name it. Uh, where I came from, there was always this rumor about this place, right, that they lock you up and brainwash you. We knew of a few people who had been brainwashed. Last time we see them, they, you know, they have a mohawk and and they're you know whatever driving their crazy car and what and then they disappear right and then you show up with a crew cut six months later six months later (laughs) with a a bible and a backpack and won't even look at you won't even talk to you we were like what the fuck we're best friends man like yeah we were like best friends. Like I would have died for you and you can't look at me. I ended up being one of those kids. And, and like in, in all of those kids defense, you know, this, this program was a type of place where uh, the whole goal was they would take these broken kids uh, and they would literally strip them of everything that they knew or learned their entire life right and get them get the kids to rebuild their life and get back on track which makes sense but you know when i look back on it now the way it was done and some of the methods and the way some people were just belittled and disrespected and or forced into changing uh, what was very harsh. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, it sounds, sounds like they're there to, to strip away all those dark layers, you know? And, it, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, and it's funny that you, and, and thank you for sharing that. That's deep, deeply personal stuff. Uh, looking back now into the lyrics, I mean, even whether you think that it wasn't directly related, um, and that's what's great about songwriting. It's so subjective. You can take whatever away from it. But man, I'm reading these now. And I mean, just just look at the first chorus. I must live to know that healing takes some time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and, then, and then you get down here and it's, you know, I must live to know that time alone is always healing as long as there's bleeding. No regrets or falling fits. I'll strip the gauze and bleed it. There's no worry. It's only simple therapy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's so when that, those I, are cool lyrics. When I went into that program, um, you know, I had a bunch of homemade tattoos, right? And it was all, you know, just messed up, you know, punk, old homemade crummy misfit skull and one dimensional crossbones and some stupid skinhead stuff and skulls and just who knows, you know. 13 year old Southern, uh, you know, South, uh, or Gulf coast punk, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, and anyhow, I get into that program 
And one of the first things my parents wanted to do was have get my tattoos removed. Okay. So this was before this was before laser surgery. I was gonna say they basically gotta cut them off your skin. Yeah. Or yeah, sand that's them off. What they did is more or less like filleted me. Really. So basically they uh they had to cut around the tattoo and literally shave it out and then kind of fillet the layer of skin uh up and then pull the skin together sew it up bind it um just just brutal medieval you know um that's why you can gut a fish so well yeah yeah (laughs) um so I had this done and man, I was young and that's kind of part of, you know, I mean, I was still growing, you know what I mean? I, I, I think I was, I think I was 14 when we had the first surgery, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and sorry to make a light of that, Chuck. I mean, that's, this is, is horrifying. Uh, you oh, know, no, no, yeah, no. I, I, you know, I just, I can't even imagine yeah. getting cut into, you have to have this part of your life taken off your body at 14 years old. That's a lot to process. <laughs> it was pretty messy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyhow, the doctor's like, oh yeah, no problem. It'll be a hairline. It'll be a hairline, you know, whatever scar. Well, I was supposed to have three surgeries to get all the, and it was supposed to go on like a surgery and then six months of healing, then another surgery, then another six months of healing and then another surgery. Right. And, and another, so this was like a year and a half process that this was going to take. And, uh, you know, they did the first surgery, um, and, uh, the doctor, uh, later we found out this was the second one he, he had done, right. Supposed to be this top notch plastic surgeon guy. Um, he took too much skin, you know, out of my little teenage arms, you know? Uh, so in the healing process, you know, the scars just spread quite a bit. Then, then the second surgery, he performed it too early. So the scars spread even more. Right. And, uh, I don't know if you've, if you have a lot of scars, you know, uh, they, they tear really easy, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're younger and it was just, it was a gnarly, healing process third surgery we didn't do uh i i said to hell hell with this this is you know yeah because it was where where i had the tattoos and and how it was when i was bound up you know i couldn't bend one of my arms i could couldn't hardly you know brush my teeth or bathe myself you know it was uh it was a nightmare you know and uh anyhow all this came uh, happened when I went into this damn program. Right. And, and, uh, this was, this is the basis of that song It is, you know, music, music has always been a therapy to us. It's mm-hmm. always been a way for us to hack life, to heal, uh, to express that angst or that anger or figure out, you know, figure out exactly what it is that is hanging us up and how to, 
you know, see it from a different perspective to then overcome it and become a stronger person, become a better friend, become a better human being, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, we, in that program, we were, uh, we were required, uh, to keep a journal and every kid that went in, you know, a, You'd always rebel for a little bit. No, I'm not doing anything. And then you finally, everybody would finally give in. It's like, all right, I'm here. I've been here for a month. I was in that program for a year and a half. Wow. Um, uh, and I I was actually there for three years, uh, but it took me a year and a half in the program. And then I actually ended up staying there as a staff member and and working as a more or less a counselor uh, with all the screwed up kids that came in that were just like me, you know? And, uh, but when you go in, you're required to keep a journal and they call them MIs, which stood for a moral inventory. Mm -hmm. I always thought that that was cool. You know, (laughs) sounds like a band. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, I hated them at first because it was a requirement, you know, it's like you had to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and, but uh, really it, 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 it was like lyric writing really, because that's a hundred percent. Yeah. This I'm yeah. telling you this in so many ways, like this defines so much of, you know, how I thought, believed, worked and, you know, just survived for that's the rest fascinating. of the life, Well, you know? well, well, Chuck, I want to, um, I want to touch on one, one last thing here. So going back now, um, when the track came out, it was the first track, uh, on the record. Um, yeah. do you remember playing it for the first time? And I mean, I know now it's a fan favorite. I mean, uh, seeing you guys uh, play the song live. And then of course, taking the stage with you in Sao Paulo, when we, when we ripped into this thing, the place went berserk went bananas um you remember the first time you played it and what that reaction was like and and uh, oh and did did you play it before caution was released do you remember mm, that's a good question yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> pre-youtube days you always played your stuff before the record came out <clears throat> right right because i also noticed that the song was featured on the tony hawks underground soundtrack which you know, that is just, we had a song on there for less than Jake and I can't tell you how, how much mileage we got out of that. So certainly being on Epitaph, being on the Tony Hawk, the song, it, it had a, a, a good, uh, a good push. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was immediate for us. Like it was one of those tunes that we always wanted to play first. Did you know when you were tracking the record, at what point you're, you're in there with Brian and uh, you're listening back to, to, you know, pretty much stuff's getting, you know, everything's there. The drums are there, the bass is there, the vocals are getting put on, backing vocals. Did this song bubble to the top? Did you guys look around the room and go, wow, there's something, something awesome happening here? Or was it just another song on the record? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, we felt like that on every single, on all those songs, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, You know, there, there's always, to me, you know, uh, you're on the right track if you're equally as pumped, you know, on each tune. Yeah. Well, that's, Um, that's awesome. And sometimes it's kind of hard to see and understand, you know, the, the difference or what's special about this one or that, you know, when you're in the, 
in the vortex, as we called it. You know. Well, yeah, and I always say when when <clears throat> I've had that said to me before, what you just said, and it's so true. Uh, they're all our children, so to speak, the songs, and right. and uh, how they elevate from just being our songs is is uh, how they hit the fans, and right, right. the fans dictate totally. how how special the song truly becomes. And this is uh, definitely <clears throat> a special uh, song in the Hot Water Music uh, arsenal. Um, so listen, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. I just want to thank you for for taking the time uh, to to discuss this song and, and and be on the show. And I'd like you to uh, leave our listeners with anything uh, Chuck Reagan or Hot Water Music related that you'd like to uh, talk about or promote. Well, um, I'm really happy to say that we're actually writing right now a new record. Nice. And, um, I am pretty thrilled i'm not going to talk too much about it just yet because i don't know what we are supposed to you know all i know is um i'm really excited well that uh, that excites me and, and the last two records you did exist or and light it up are, are two of my favorites in your catalog so I, I can't can't wait to hear what you guys come up with thanks man thanks it's uh it's pretty exciting it's pretty exciting so uh right now that's it you know i i I started writing an, uh, another record um, myself, and uh, I was just about to head to the stu- head to Ryan Williams' place um, right before the, all this COVID uh, crap, you know, and and it everything just came to a grinding halt. Yeah, um, and then it, you know, I haven't been working on those songs. It just everything got put on the back burner. Um, at home, I'm a fishing guide. So I, I, you know, just (laughs) with no music or no nothing, it's just hand to mouth. So I just got to work. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm out running boats and taking people fishing and, you know, songwriting, um, it's going to have to wait for a little bit, but, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, very good, man. Well, hey, again, thank you so much. I'm glad you and your your family uh, are safe out there with all the the fires and the the craziness. And uh, oh yeah, and uh, man, thank you for for just uh, being you and being a friend. I love you, man. I love you too, brother. Thanks, man. I'm glad it worked out. It did. It definitely worked out. And I, I just can't believe how vibrant and awake you are at 5 a.m. I, I commend you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. 
If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Jimmy Mowry, a singer-songwriter from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where he averages 200-plus shows a year in the region. Jimmy has the prestigious title of being a Top 24 contestant on Season 16 of NBC's The Voice in 2019. Here's a snippet of his song, Ghost of You. Chris and Chris. Well, once again, man, that was a really great episode. A lot of people have been asking for Chuck, and after listening to that episode, I know why. Oh, yeah, man, and, and it's crazy, the history that I have with those guys. Uh, not that anybody uh, knows or cares, maybe, <laughs> but I was at the first ever Hot Water Music rehearsal uh, in 1994. I had a uh, sociology class with Jason Black, their bass player, and uh, I was wearing a Doughboy shirt, and I think he was wearing a Sam I Am shirt, and, he, and we're like, dude, and dude, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you like that band? Yeah, you like that band? And uh, uh, formed a fast friendship. And it was, I don't know, it was maybe a week or two later. It's like, my band's practicing. You want to come check us out? So I was at the very first rehearsal. And knowing these guys now for 25 plus years, uh, I never knew uh, what a troubled childhood Chuck had till the episode. Again, uh, uh, we, we had a guest that, that really went deep with us, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't hold back in his story. And I think that there are definitely people out there that can relate to that and also relate to the aspect of music being like this saving grace and and more specifically punk rock being that uh, i think that's really cool and everyone can relate to it in one way or another maybe not to the extent uh that that chuck experienced but every everybody in one way or another if you love if you have a deep rooted passion for music or punk rock specifically there is something about what chuck says that you can relate to yeah it was, it was wild you know because i've heard uh chuck speak of his parents over the years uh, uh on the road with them uh just you know hanging out in gainesville when we'd run into each other and uh he never would have had any inkling that he had uh, uh you know was a troubled teen and he had to go to uh uh essentially a a, a rehab center uh uh, for for teens and everything he explained, it was it was really really interesting and and what you said, just the fact that uh, uh, punk rock, uh, it, it, as Chuck admitted, pretty much uh, saved his life. Yeah, the part about the tattoos, man, that was that was rough. Like I haven't felt for someone the way I, I felt for him on this pad podcast when he was talking about that. That was. Uh, pretty intense and disturbing but it's awesome to know that he rose above all that bad stuff and is a successful awesome songwriter and and uh and beloved by people 
Yeah, and and a successful fisherman as well. Yeah, <laughs> which which is which is amazing. Chuck gives uh, as a fishing guide uh, out in Northern California, and he does uh, does really well at that too. So he's multifaceted, Mister Reagan is, and I just love uh, love his everything about him. His energy, his character, can't say enough about it, and just the fact that uh, again, Chris, we had a guest that uh, went that deep and shared stuff that's just I don't know. It's it's like we're uh, we have a knack for pulling. Uh, pulling some some deep dark stuff out of people yeah for sure man hey and and speaking of fishing <laughs> that might be my worst <laughs> that might be my worst segue ever <laughs> but speaking of fishing hey we're fishing for donations for this month's, for this month's fundraiser at chris if you want to tell them about it chris i would love to pull everyone in the boat with me right now yeah dump bump yeah <laughs> uh this week's fundraiser is uh the jason r flood memorial uh they began as a way for the youth and their community to communicate with one another and uh know that they are not alone they're goal is to raise awareness of suicide prevention and to feel comfortable to speak up and reach out when warning signs are recognized. Uh, They are constructing education and peer support groups to offer guidance for a variety of mental health issues, particularly with the tween and teen age groups. So this is an amazing uh, cause this month. Please head over to KristaMakesADifference.com to donate. Uh, Whatever you could give would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. And speaking of giving, man, you know what we have coming up? I can't believe it's coming up already, but Valentine's Day, which say what you will about Valentine's Day. I know it's a holiday created by Hallmark to sell greeting cards, and it's a holiday that makes single people feel really bad <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> like, There's a lot of things about Valentine's Day that suck, and one of those things that sucks is if you are in a relationship, you have to think like, oh, I got to like... Do I have to like do something or get something for my significant other? And what is that? Is it chocolate? Is it a teddy bear? Is it freaking jewelry? <laughs> do I have to spend a thousand dollars on jewelry? I mean, hopefully you're you're uh, with somebody that doesn't care about jewelry. <laughs> but uh, you know, a really cool thing that you can do that you're offering, Chris, is a personalized song video greeting. And I think that is a very cool, unique, tasteful gift to get someone that they can enjoy for a lifetime that's right if you'd like a custom video valentine's reading uh from me hit me up at chrisdemakes at gmail.com and i'll uh give you all the details i'd like to write you or that special someone a custom video uh greeting and uh like chris said it's the gift that uh will last a lifetime so please hit me up and uh i would love to write you one yeah it's a gift that certainly keeps on giving man for sure you can enjoy that forever (laughs) and uh once again thanks to this week's guest chuck reagan for being on the show and we'll see you next week hey this is scott from fly on the call each week i speak to a different musician whether they're in an established band like silverstein or the wonder years or band on the rise like spanish love songs origami angel or meet me at the altar We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. 
That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.